0: We have been talking over the last two weeks, and now again this morning, we're reading 1 John, and it's been Walking in the Light. Then last week, we talked about Jesus, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. And this week, we're going to be finishing up our looking at what it means to walk like Jesus walked. So if you'll read with me the the first letter of John... And we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, And when I first, a few weeks back, started thinking about how I wanted to preach out of this section of scripture, that was the phrase that I keyed in on. Walking like Jesus walked. And I have chewed on that now for three weeks. And and, and I'm not saying that what I'm gonna say is incredibly profound. It's probably stuff you've heard before. But I think it's imperative for us to focus this week on what it means to walk in the way that Jesus walked. First of all, verse 3 says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep our commandments. So verse 3 tells us, you can have an assurance of the fact that you are in right relationship with God, that you truly know him, if you keep his commandments. Now we were talking in Sunday school this morning, and I, I, I was like, yay, God, because he brought it up himself. I didn't have I, I wasn't leading the class. But I don't remember who it was that said it, I think it was Jesse that said it. But somebody said, in if you truly have a right relationship with God, there's a heart change. Weren't you the one that said that? If you truly are a child of God, if you truly are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Something about your heart changes. And there's this natural desire to serve God. There's this, there's this want to about doing what pleases God. For all of, the, of your life prior to coming to faith in Christ, you walked in selfishness, which was proven to you to be rebellion against God. Seeking your own way, seeking your own desires, seeking what you chose. And at some point, again we talked about this in Sunday school, God, through God's prevenient grace, convinced you, wooed you, drew you into an understanding that you have A, a responsibility for God to live a righteous and holy life, and B, you have failed to do so. And as a result, you are not in right relationship with God. And the only hope that you have for being in right relationship is to have an atonement, a cleansing, a purging of your sin. And you can't do it because you're not an acceptable sacrifice because you're sinful. And so we understand through the the, the theology that we've been studying for weeks and for months and for years that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the only appropriate atoning sacrifice. We saw last week that Jesus was the propitiation for our sin. And if you remember the two phrases that we use, propitiation and expiation. Propitiation is satisfying an angry God. Satisfying an offended God. Expiation is being cleansed, if you will, to simplify it. And Jesus did both in his sacrifice. So we know from what John is telling us in this, that A, we are not supposed to sin. John told us that a few weeks ago. But if you do sin, we have someone, the advocate, Jesus, who sits on the right hand of God the Father, who is the propitiation for our sins, and not just for us, but for every human being that has ever lived. And then John gets to the crux of the matter. He says, and you can know. You can know that you are in right relationship with God. You can know that you truly know him. How? If you keep his commandments. Okay, hold on. Hold on. I can show you in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no human being can boast. That's what it says. So, Pastor, how are you telling me that John here is telling us that we get saved and we are in right relationship with God and we can know it if we do what God tells us to do, because we're not supposed to do anything to earn our salvation? I chewed on that for the last three weeks. And especially in the last few days. But I can point to you in James, where James says, you say you have faith? I can show you my works that prove that I have faith. There is a, there is a symbiosis between our faith and the evidence of our faith, which is the way we live our life. Okay? You don't earn salvation by doing things. You can't earn your salvation. That is a gift of God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the propitiation. Jesus is that mercy seat where you gain access to the Father God. But once you have entered into right relationship with God through Jesus Christ... As Jesse explained to us this morning, something inside of you changes. And you no longer are seeking to do your own will, you're seeking to do that which pleases your Father in Heaven. There is a desire to follow what God wants of you. What does God want of you? He wants you to keep His commandments. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. Those are pretty strong words. You should own those. If you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then all of a sudden you start looking at the word of God, and you say, well, I'm supposed to be this, and I'm supposed to be that, and I'm supposed to be this, and I'm not... What's the problem? Where's the disconnect? Is it indeed that I'm a liar and I'm truly not following God? Or is there some other disconnect going on? Verse 5, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But I want to focus on this commandment. What commandment, or commandments, because it does say we keep his commandments, what commandments are we supposed to be following, which is an evidence of our right relationship with God? My first thought, as I've been chewing on this and mulling it over, is, well... The evidence that I have God's, a good relationship with God, that I have the presence of God in my life, is I will exhibit the fruits of the Spirit. I will, I will show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, faithfulness, and self-control. So there. But those aren't commandments. Right? We're not commanded to be joyful. We're not commanded to be gentle. Sometimes, maybe. But it is is an outgrowth, okay? It is the fruit of being in right relationship with God that produces the Galatians chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, fruit of the Spirit. So that's not a commandment. That's not something I have to do in order to be in right relationship with God. That's just an outgrowth. That's the fruit If you go to John chapter 15, John, the same guy who wrote this letter, you will see that John chapter 15 talks about a teaching that Jesus made saying that Jesus is telling his people, I am the vine, you are the branches, you must remain in me in order to be fruitful. If you do not remain in me, Then you will not bear fruit. Okay, now it's starting to make a little bit of sense, okay? If, if, if I think of myself as a leaf coming off of a branch, or a small branch coming off of the trunk of a tree, there is a connection point which enables the nutrients and the sap of the, of the, of the plant to go up into the branch, which then will be, allow Um, for leaves to grow, which will then cause photosynthesis, which will help provide fuel for the life of the plant, which ultimately there could be a bud or a a, a nut of some sort that grows or a a fruit that some sort of grows off of that branch. And if for some reason there's a disconnect of the branch from the vine, from the the trunk, then that thing shrivels and there's no fruit. So what I'm hearing in that analogy is that if I want to produce fruit, which is the evidence of God in my life, I have to remain connected to the source. So now I'm hearing a little bit about this idea of command. Okay, Something I can do. Something I can obey. I can't make fruit in and of myself. That's an outcrop of who I am in Christ. But I can ensure that I stay connected. I can ensure that I am in right relationship. So what is this that I do once I'm already in right relationship? What do I do to maintain that? Huh? You water it, okay? I'm sorry? Pick off, so there's some pruning... There's um, tending to. So, for those of you who are gardeners, do you have this 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 mindset or understanding that there is action that must be done to keep that branch connected and fruitful? Sometimes it's pruning, sometimes it's watering, sometimes it's we. I'm sorry, putting light. But if, if you were talking to a brand new Christian who understood these agricultural and farming and gardening terms and, and, and the analogy, and then they looked at you and said, but what do I need to do to make sure that that happens? Well, you give 10% of all of your income, and you always read your Bible, and you make sure you're in church every Sunday, whenever there's a, whenever there's an activity at the church, you're there, you're part of the life of the church, that's how you... Is it? I'm asking, I, Okay, there's something I can do, love God and love those around me. How? Okay, Mary, what did you say? Unconditional. Unconditional, which is <laughs> exhibiting those things, okay. Okay. Learn about prayer. Look at verse 5 again. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. See if I can turn to it real quick. John chapter 13, verse 24. Excuse me, 34 and 35. Jesus speaking uh, after the Last Supper, it says, when he had gone out, Jesus then said to them, and he says, A new commandment I give you. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And one of the scriptures that I was drawn to in this study was the story found in only two of the gospels about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, you have the commandments, do them. And he said, well, I've done them all from my youth. I've done every single one of them. I've honored every single one of them. He said, well, you have, I've seen it, but there is still one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give the money to the poor and then you will have eternal life. And the word says that that man went away sad because he was had, because he had great wealth. And Jesus then said to his disciples, it's very hard for a rich person to enter into heaven. And then they were like, well then who can be saved? And I was chewing on that for a while thinking, okay, well, how does that play into this idea of commandment and see it's not just following the 10 commandments yes follow the 10 commandments but not just it is getting past and it's like like Jesse said be kind be faithful be gentle it's like Mary said show unconditional love it's like John said in this letter to the to the church You need to, in order to have the love of God perfected in you, in order to know that you are in right relationship with God, in order to live out a life that produces the fruit, you need to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. And how did Jesus walk? Selflessly. Selflessly. To the point of... If you go to John chapter 15, and I don't have the number written down, so I can't point it to you, but if you go to John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, that they be willing to lay down their life for their friend. And if you lived your day-by-day-by-day life in that way, you would, without question, know that you were in right relationship with God. You would know that you were following the commandments. You would see the love of God perfected in you because you would not in any way be trying to bring yourself up or meet your own needs, you would be completely focused on how can I glorify God in my life today? How can I show the love of God to the people around me today? Like Evelyn shared at the very beginning of our service. Seeing someone who's stuck in a drudge job, knowing you can't change that, but you can help lighten the load. By just simply showing them a little kindness and love. Now, the problem comes when we want to be all love and no, con- no confrontation. That's the other thing I've been struggling with over the last couple, three days. Because I'm part of a pastor's Facebook group where we challenge each other with theological and philosophical thought. And somebody presented a scenario, and I responded to it, and I got jumped all over the place. Because I said, I love on these people, and when they ask me for my opinion, I share the gospel with them. Oh, if you're truly a Christian, you will tell them the truth, and why not let them go to hell. And i wrestled with that. God, what part of that is human, and what part of that is from you? Because yes, I have a responsibility as a carrier of the light to program, to show the light. Yes, I I don't want to cover my light under a bushel basket, but I want it to be broadcast all over. Yes, I want to be salt to flavor the earth. Yes, I want people to know that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the way that I live out my life. But at the same time, I do not want to in any way cause harm by being so bombastic and legalistic in my provocation, that's the truth, that I beat you down to nothing because you're a sinner and you need to recognize you're a sinner before God. But at the same time, I have to. Don't I? Yeah, I think. If you truly love people, don't you have to tell them the truth and make them aware of the fact that they're heading toward a place where the bridge is out? And if they don't slow down and be careful, they're going to go over the edge? If I truly love God and I truly love my neighbor as myself, do I not love myself enough to want somebody to come up to me and tell me that I'm about to go off the edge of a cliff? But at the same time, I need to love them unconditionally and not be legalistic in my declaration that they are sinners before an angry God. I wish it was a very easy answer to give you. I truly do. I wish that I could simply say, well, you just need to follow the Ten Commandments and then everything's okay. I wish that I could simply say, well, love God, go to church, pay your tithe, read the Bible, you're good. The problem is when we get into the messiness of life, the day-by-day stuff, How do you respond in a way that is loving and kind and right and holy and pure and at the same time not afraid to to call a spade a spade when it's necessary? And I was brought back to the story of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus is confronted with an angry crowd who has thrown a woman down at his at, at his feet, she's probably wrapped only in the bed sheet that she was found in. And they say, We caught her in the act of adultery. And our our law says that she must pay the ultimate price. And Jesus' resp- response is to write something in the dirt, we'd have no idea what he wrote. Then after a moment or two, he looks up and he says, Okay, whichever one of you is without sin, cast this first stone. Honor God, do what you gotta do. And everyone drops their stones and walks away. And then what does he say to the woman? Where are your accusers? They're no, they're gone, my Lord. I, I, they're gone. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Now let's go to John chapter 4. That was John chapter 8, by the way. Then go to John chapter 4. And Jesus is sitting by a well. And a woman from Samaria comes up to draw water at the well. And she's a woman of ill repute. She's gathering water in the middle of the day instead of the normal time. And she says to Jesus, why are you even talking to me? There shouldn't be any communication between us. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus looks at her and he confronts her with her sin. Yeah, not. I said go get your husband. And you said I don't have a husband. And you said it rightly because you've actually had five husbands. Four of whom you were married to and the one you're living with right now isn't actually your husband but you're still sleeping with him. So he he confronted her with her sin. Why didn't he confront the other one with her sin? They were both guilty of the same sin. So how do you walk as Jesus walked if he's not the same every single time? You see how hard this is? That's why you've got to keep your eye focused on God and what His Word says and the listening and discerning of the Holy Spirit because every situation you come into does not have a cookie-cutter answer. That doesn't mean that you don't speak truth. It means that you listen to God. Is this the right time to say this? Or am I going to be causing harm by saying this? And how do I listen carefully, God? Because, whew, I want to speak the truth to those people. For years, I want to speak truth to those people, but I just never find the right moment. And I don't understand why, God, because I truly love them, and they're part of my oikos. I'm praying for them regularly. Why can't I ever get the moment to say what I need to say to them? I don't know. But as I pray and as I look for opportunity, God has never convinced me that that moment was the right moment. So do I now feel guilty because I'm not speaking truth and they're on their way to hell and they're about to go over the edge of the cliff? And what If I am watching Jesus and listening for his leading and asking him to guide me and opening doors for me, and I'm walking the best that I know how, following the way of Jesus, he will give me the right moment. He will tell me when it's right. But I have to focus on him. Because... Honestly, I liken it to this story about Jesus walking on the water. You keep your eyes focused on him. You don't pay attention to anything else. You don't listen to the catcalls from the people in the boat. You don't pay attention to the waves. You don't listen to the wind. You do not say, you don't listen to what your mind is telling you, saying, this is impossible, this is not happening, you can't do it. You keep your eyes focused on Jesus and Jesus only. Because the moment you take your eyes off, that's when you're going to start messing up. If you have somebody in your life that you're praying about and asking God to give you opportunity to share the gospel with them, you wait on God's perfect timing. And God may say, now, in this moment, now. But God may say, hold up. You have no idea what's going on in their life right now. This is not the right moment. Don't say it yet. Continue to pray for them. Just keep your eyes focused on me. I'll give you the signal when it's right. And that's how we're supposed to live. If you want to know that you're in right relationship with God, if you want to see the love of God perfected in your life, if you want to walk connected to God at all times, you keep your eyes focused on God, on what His Word says. You listen for the Holy Spirit's guidance. You spend every waking moment of every single day knowing that you're in right relationship with God because you're living the way God has asked you to live and you continue to watch for His openings. and the moment he says jump jump the moment he says walk walk the moment he says shut up shut up be that mirror image one of the most one of the most daunting passages of scripture as a pastor that I've ever come across is first corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 where paul says Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The pastor to the people says, you look at me, you do what I'm doing, you'll be right because I'm watching Jesus. That's scary. But the reality is, that's what your friends are doing with you. The ones who don't know God, the ones who are not in right relationship with God, and you may be the only Christian that they have in their life, they're watching you as you reflect Christ to them. And you've got to be the best mirror you can possibly be. That's what the commandment is. That's what it is to do your faith. Living it in such a way. Matthew chapter 7. I can't even quote it. Let me just look it up real quick. (laughs) It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. Have it. Oh, Lord, what is it? I'm sorry? No, it's... Let you live your life... It might be Matthew chapter 5, I don't remember now. It is live your life in such a way so that when people see your life, they give glory to God. <clears throat> I can't I can't off the top of my head. It wasn't part of my notes, so it's it's just off the top of my head. But it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Look for it this week, you'll find it. Jesus said, May you live your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see your they, they, they will see the works that you do and they will give glory to God. That's what we've been talking about. Yes, I want to be the best Jesus I can be for the people in my life. And the way I do that is, number one, I stay connected and I make sure that I'm clean and I make sure that I'm pure and I examine my life and I do all the things that I need to do. But then the rest of it is I just simply keep my eyes focused on God through the reading of his word, through the through the interaction between me and his Holy Spirit. And I walk the walk that God puts before me and I continue to reflect Christ to everyone around me so that they will see Christ. They won't be drawn to me, they'll be drawn to God. And then while all of that's going on, God, the Holy Spirit, through his prevenient grace, is wooing and drawing people. Everyone around me is watching me as I reflect Christ. And the Holy Spirit's using that reflection to draw people to the Father so that they can become convinced of their sinful state. So that they can then turn their hearts and make themselves connected to the the branch. So that they too can know. That they are in right relationship with God. Because they are keeping the commandments of God. Because they're seeing the love of God perfected in their life. And they're walking in the way that Jesus walked. I could go on and on and on and on and on. I'd be saying the same things over and over again. So I'm going to shut up. But that's your goal for this week. Number one. Walk as he walked. Number two. Make sure that you're watching to see if you indeed are walking as he walked. And if you're not, make the course correction. Let's pray.